And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to The Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday, on The Athletic Podcast Network. And welcome to another edition of the Hoops Adjacent episode of Athletic MBA Show. David Aldrich here in D.C. In L.A., my man Waz Lambre. Waz, what's up, sir? I'm good, man. I'm chilling. I'm not going to lie. I'm still pretty sad about how the Super Bowl turned out. But life goes on, I guess, <laughs> even for us miserable Jets fans. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Well, so you, did you have a little action on the, on Kansas City? Or? No, I just I just never want to see Tom Brady do nah, well. You sound, like my, you sound like my for, sons, man. They were all upset. For, for, <laughs> for any reason whatsoever. It's enough already. I, I know. I mean, but, come on. Like, this is what I told them. I'm sorry he's this good. What do you want me to do? I know. I know. You I've know? been in denial about it. I'm like, well, you know, they did have Belichick and they were kind of cheating. And, uh, you know, it might not work this time. No, come on, no. man. You got to give the dude no. props now. He's he's good. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough. I know it's you tough. don't want to. It's all good, though. It's all good. And it was a horrible game, it was too. Awful. That's another yes, thing. It was awful. It was just a horrible it game. It was awful. So, I want to ask you. I, but it's Tuesday now. I don't want to so keep okay. I don't want to keep our guests. But I ask you afterwards what you thought of the weekend because I got some thoughts on that. But I'm, a, I'm okay. we'll talk about that afterwards. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I want to get my guest our guest in this week. Uh guy that I have known for years, one of the one of the good guys in this league, man, and I'm so happy that he's got this very unique opportunity um to be the head coach of the G League Ignite squad that many of you have heard about over the last few months. It's a very it's a new thing that the NBA is trying to do to kind of be, I guess, you know, better shepherds for some of the young guys coming in and give them better opportunities. Brian Shaw, man, thank you for joining us, man. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. B. Shaw, I've known B. Shaw for, damn, 20 years, man. You know, so always one of the, one of the good dudes. Um, and you all start play. We're taping this on Tuesday. The, the G League team starts play on Wednesday night. Uh, they will be in the bubble with the other uh, teams in the G League that have opted in and are, are playing in the bubble in the G League season. They're playing the Santa Cruz Warriors uh, on Wednesday night, or Wednesday morning, I should say, um, at 11 a.m. Wednesday morning uh, from Advent Health Arena at the ESPN Wide World of Sports Complex. It'll be live on ESPN2. Um, I'm sure many of you know what, what, the, what the kind of Marching orders for G League Ignite is going to be this year. It's different. They have brought in some of the guys that normally would have gone to college, would have been one-and-done players. Mm -hmm. Guys like Jonathan Kaminga and Jalen Green and Isaiah Todd, Deshaun Nix. They are on a they are on a select team with some real good NBA vets. And we're going to talk about this in a minute, Brian. But Guys, I've, guys, good guys, Jarrett Jack and Amir Johnson, guys that have been in the league for, you know, a decade or more, old heads that can teach some of these young guys what it really means to be a pro. Brian, the first thing I wanted to ask you, man, is just kind of how, how did you get intrigued by this job? Because it is, this is about developing these young guys. It's, it is about winning and losing, obviously, but it really is about getting these guys ready to be NBA players. And I wonder what excited you about that. Well, you know, to be honest with you, the first thing was I was, uh, I was, uh, you know, just doing NBA TV and, uh, and as well as 25 games for the local team where I live, the Golden State Warriors, um, you know, after, uh, pregame, halftime and after the game, uh, since I make my home in the Bay Area up in Oakland. And there weren't any NBA teams, you know, if I'm being honest, that were just beating on my door to give me an opportunity to get back and, and be a head coach again. And then, you know, one day I get a call from Sharif Abdur-Rahim, who's the uh, commissioner or president of the, uh, of the G League. And um, he started talking to me about this vision, um, you know, that he had and, 
uh, conversations that he was having with Adam Silver and Mark Tatum, um, the deputy commissioner of the NBA, about, uh, as you put it, um, being better shepherds for these young guys who had been up to this point opting to either go to college and be one and done or go overseas in the case of uh, LaMelo Ball and R.J. Hampton from last year's draft class. And, um, you know, to, to give, you know, an alternative route or path pathway to, you know, to getting to the NBA, um, but that it would be a select group of guys that they would hand select um, to be a part of this and sprinkle in some veterans. You know, you named a, a couple of them, uh, Amir Johnson, it ended up being, and Jerry, Jared Jack and Bobby Brown. Um, to kind of uh, you know form the form this team and uh, help develop these young guys and teach them how to be pros on and off the court. And the more we talked about it, um, the more intrigued I got with it. And, you know, and as an assistant coach in the NBA, that was a big part of what I was doing anyway was developing a lot of young players. You know, going back to you know Andrew Bynum, um, mm-hmm. who came straight out. Uh, uh, from high school to, you know, to Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball, who, you know, were one and dones, uh, you know, in L.A., um, you know, Paul George and Lance Stevenson, guys that I worked with uh, in Indiana, you know. So, um, you know, I spent a lot of time doing that and being on the other end of it as a coach in the NBA, you know, um, getting a lot of these guys and saying, well, what, you know, what, like it would be nice if they were more ready. Like obviously their athletic athleticism is off the charts. Um, their talent is as well, but not really up to par in terms of like really understanding what it what it takes to be a pro and um, the work work ethic behind it uh, and things of that nature. And so this uh, provides that opportunity um, and also introduces them to the terminology that. NBA teams use um, the offensive sets that they run, the defensive schemes that they run, but also the business of basketball and everything that comes along with that. And so um, it was just like a perfect storm for me. And then lo and behold, there was probably, you know, six or seven different locations uh, around the country that they were discussing possibly uh, being the home base for this program and it ended up being in Walnut Creek, California, up in the northern uh, up in Northern California, in the Bay Area, which is a 15 minute drive from where I live in Oakland. So, um, when all those things came together, uh, it just made sense. Along with the fact that we were dealing with the pandemic, and um, it was nice to be able to be home in uh, in in this time, um, you know, with my family and uh, some you know some of my elderly. Uh, relatives that we take care of um it, it just all made sense man you know b shaw uh dave talked about it at the top of the show um just <laughs> like this this team is kind of unique right it's not like when you're in the nba saying you got like a really young team and it's like all right sure we're trying to develop these guys as as players but you know we need to be developing winning habits right like we don't want to reward guys who are doing, you know, non-winning stuff and still reward them with playing time. It's like this delicate balance with young guys, whereas this G League team is a little bit different. Um, I'm curious because, you know, know, in preparation for the show, I'm like, man, Bishaw played in the league for 15 years. You know, he played on the Shaq and Penny um, Magic teams. He played on the Shaq and Kobe Laker teams. Um, he spent 20 years on NBA benches. Like, you've seen so much. Um, what do you think is unique to these guys and what they need to know and learn how they're going to become successful pros? I, I think the uh, it's a good question. And I, I think it's the, just being introduced to the routine of and I don't say routine, like just casual routine, but, you know, wrapping their minds around once they signed on the dotted line, um, it changed everything that they did experienced up to this point. Because once you sign on the dotted line, you are receiving compensation for your play. You're considered a professional. Um, and with that becomes a lot, you know, comes a lot of responsibility 
uh, obligations. Um, and in this day and age, you're on all the time because of social media, because of camera phones. Um, you know, you're not going to get away with anything. Um, and so you have to be cognizant of that at all times. And exposing them, um, you know, to all of these type of things and breaking a lot of the bad habits that they have built up to this point, playing AAU basketball or, you know, or high school basketball for them up to this point where in a weekend, you know, they may play 12 games, you know, three games a day or four games a day that where there's not really any um, consequence for the bad habits that they may develop, you know, in, in playing where winning doesn't really matter because, you know, you got three, two or three more games that same day um, over the weekend. And, uh, you know, and so this, although for us, our, our team is unique and it's not predicated on wins and losses for us. Um, we still want to try to win every game, you know, that we step on the floor. We also want to build winning habits, uh, practice those and get repetition uh, at them every, every single day. Um, and the biggest issue from the beginning in terms of actually on the basketball court was each of these guys that you named, Dacian Nix, Isaiah Todd, Jalen Green, and Jonathan Kaminga, all up to this point have been, you know, the stars of their AAU teams or their programs that they've come from. They've all played with the ball in their hand, uh, you know, and got to shoot uh, as much as they, you know, wanted to. And getting them to understand that now, the, the next step for them uh, next year when they're rookies on some NBA team that they are not, the coach is not going to just hand them the ball and say, dribble the ball 15 or 17 times until you can create your own shot, you know, what have you, you're going to have to play a role. And so with all things being equal, if there's five players on the court and there's only one basketball, there there's only one person that can have the ball at a time. So that's 20% of the time if there's five people on the court that you have the ball in your hand. And we need to learn how to play the other 80% of the time that we don't have the ball in our hand when we're one of those other four guys that don't have the ball. So things like spacing the court, setting good screens to open up your teammate, which in turn will, will allow you to get open, how to cut hard um, and be a good teammate without having to dominate and, and, and impact the game without having to have the ball in your hand. Um, to me, those are the most important things. And one of the examples that I use uh, is Steph Curry. Now we know he's a monster when he has the ball in his hand um, because of all the things that he can do. But when he gives the ball up and the defense relaxes for a second, that's when he's even more dangerous because when that defender relaxes, he's, cutting down the lane and then coming off another down screen on the other side. And, and so it's perpetual motion, you know, with him. Um, and that's what makes him dangerous. And that's what opens it up for his teammates. And so just trying to get them to trust that and understand that when you give the ball up, it'll find its way back to you. And so, you know, that was a little bit of a struggle if I'm being honest, you know, at the very beginning. Yeah. Um, but they're starting to see that, um, you know, that there are other aspects of the game that they need to brush up on. Because like I said, you know, when you, when they look at one of the people that they've always, uh, that resonated with them was Kobe. They yeah. all idolized Kobe and, you know, making them understand, like, did you realize that when Kobe came straight out of high school that he didn't play very much his rookie year and even his second year and, uh, mm-hmm. neither did Tracy McGrady. You know, and, and right. guys like Dirk Nowitzki and Kevin Durant, I mean, Kevin uh, Garnett, yeah. they struggled, um, you know, in their first year when they came KD too. Uh, into the league. Yeah. Well, yeah, KD as well. So it wasn't like it was just instant success. Mm. Um, and the guy that you got, you know, these guys that you guys look up to and idolize, um, they had to put in work and they had to pay their dues and they and they got better. Uh, in time from putting in work, but it wasn't it wasn't instant for them, and it's not going to be instant for you. Yeah. But you're going to get a head start 
coming through this program, playing against some grown ass men that that you are, you know, that are looking at you. They're jealous of you in a lot of ways because, you know, what if, I don't know what the salary of a G League player is thirty five to fifty thousand dollars, right? Uh, for a season, and you know, some of uh, some of our our young guys are making in, uh, in upwards of five hundred thousand dollars, right? So they're looking at a young guy at eighteen years old playing in the G League making 10 times the salary that they're making. And, you know, so now you're taking some food off of their table and, and they're, and, and, you know, like I said, they're grown and physically stronger and, and more mature. Um, and that's what you're going to face on a night, night in, night out, uh, 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 night in and night out at this level. Um, you know, guys that are hungry that are trying to get to the league, and, uh, you know, and they're looking at you and jealous of you. And so you got to be ready for that physicality that's going to be coming your way. And I think that once we got here to the bubble in Orlando around all of these other teams, you know, we're all staying in the same um, in the same hotel complex. They're seeing, uh, you know, these other guys are seeing the attention that's around this team. And, you know, it's causing some hate and some resentment. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and they can feel it and they can see it. Um, but that's also good, you know, to prepare them. And, and you know, they're not going to back down from it. They're going to uh, stand up to the challenge. And, you know, they've all gotten better since they got here. And um, like I told them, we've been everything up to this point. Uh, we've, we've, I've been with this group since August 28th was our first day uh, with just the, just the young guys. And all of this up to this point has just been homework, right? We've been doing homework, homework, homework. And tomorrow we finally get to take the first test. Right. So we're looking forward to that. You, and you said some of the – you scrimmaged some of the other G League teams and they and they kind of took it to you young guys, right? Yeah. So the first – we had we had a group of G League guys that uh, we played uh, four days in a row. We split with them two games, two games. Then they put together a better group of G League guys that we played probably another – month after that um before we got out here and and they yeah they they whooped us for you know they didn't do they, they whooped us uh two games in a row but um i expected that um we didn't have at that time we didn't have jared jack we didn't have uh i think amir had just gotten here uh, uh we i don't know i don't think we didn't have bobby so, you know, there was a couple of, uh, you know, we had, we didn't have a full team. And in their defense, we hadn't been able to have five-on-five five practices even leading up to those scrimmages because of the protocol, um, because of, uh, we just didn't have the numbers. We hadn't had added all our veteran players yet. But, you know, give credit to that team. They took it to us. Uh, they I think both games they beat us, you know, in excess of, by in excess of 20 points. And, uh, but that other team also left knowing the skill set and the talent of these young guys that were on this team as well. Um, you know, and so they shine, but, you know, they wore us down. And so, you know, we were able to add some vets. Now we can work together as a group. We have finally have, you know, more than 10 players so we can scrimmage and have group workouts, which we couldn't do for the first three and a half months. Um, you know, so yesterday we had a, a kind of a tune-up scrimmage uh, against that same team that had whooped us those pr- pr- prior two scrimmages, um, and we beat them pretty handily yesterday. Uh, you know, so it showed improvement from our from our point standpoint, and you know, like I said, our guys um, really, really uh, proved that they belong at this level and that they deserve the hype that they've been getting. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I wanted I wanted to be Shaw. Do you feel um responsibility or 
um, a pressure even to make sure that this works, right? Like the league obviously is invested in this and they see this as something worthy um, and worthwhile that they should be trying to do. And they've put it in your hands, right? Like, you know, guys are going to come out of this and players talk to each other. Um, Do you feel any pressure to make sure that you're making this work in a way that everybody understands why this is worthwhile and why we should be doing this? I don't, I wouldn't call it, I don't, I don't really feel any pressure when it comes to do doing anything really that, that has to do with basketball, to be honest with you. Um, I understand the investment that the NBA made. Um, All the the 17 teams that opted into this format in this setting, the only reason why this is going on is because of our team. That's that's the only Mm. reason because G League teams don't make don't make money, right? Right. Um, And teams pony up a lot of money. I believe five hundred thousand a team, to be a part of this, Um, and. And it was to give these guys the exposure and the competition that they needed. Um, and so we understand that going in. Um, but in terms of pressure for me, um, basketball is a game, regardless of whatever role you play in it as a coach, as a support staff, as a player, uh, you know, whatever. It's a game that you should find joy in. You should enjoy competing. Um, and having fun. And I truly believe that when you're true to the game, the game will be true to you. Or, you know, you pay your dues, your dues will pay you back. So we put on a hard hat. We come in and we we work. Um, and, you know, and, and I believe that, you know, that work will pay off. I, you know, I told each and every one of these guys that I can't help you or I can't make you get drafted or guarantee that you're going to be drafted or whatever. But what I can do is make sure that you're a better player than you were when you got here, that you understand the nuances of the game at this level, the terminology, that you have the footwork and the fundamentals that um, that you're going to need to perform at that next level from getting the repetition, doing that every single day. And, um, and as long as you bring the attitude that you're going to work, we've surrounded these guys with, uh, you know, the, the two coaches that I have on my staff, uh, Rashid Hazard, Walt Hazard's son, who nice. he was with us in L.A. Yeah. Um, with the, on the Lakers staff and went to New York Knicks with, with Derek Fisher. Uh, Chris Farr was on my staff with me in Denver. And he was uh, also a college uh, assistant coach for about 16 years nice. and, um, you know, was rec- was a really good recruiter. And, uh, and so we've seen, you know, just, you know, with that, being that's that's our coaching staff you know guys that have nba experience have college experience i played for the u.s team i played uh you know obviously in the nba i played overseas a year in 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 italy um and you know you got sharif abdur rahim who's the president who's around us a lot who they can lean on as well um you have rod strickland who um you know is our program manager but recruited most of these guys and their families to, you know, to come to this program that's around all the time that, that they can lean on as well. So we, and then our trainer, Pete Youngman was a, was a trainer for the Sacramento Kings for 16 years. Um, and our strength and conditioning coach was with Sacramento and their G league organization as well. So they're surrounded by NBA, you know, people that have NBA experience at every level, um, that also help get the message across and and get them accustomed to you know the daily uh, routine of things and and you know what's expected of them. And to be honest with you, I feel more pressure um, as a black man, you know, being a you know kind of a father figure, teacher, uh, and coach in terms of all the things that are going on outside of the game for these young men, you know, with, with obviously the pandemic, with everything that's going on in terms of social justice and injustice, uh, you know, all the, the political BS that they got to see under that, the, the past, um, idiot president that we had, um, you know, and things of of this nature and all the traps that are out there set for them, um, I feel, you know, responsibility and an obligation to 
prepare them for that more so than the basketball part because that that part is to me it's, it's it's fun so there's no pressure with that Matt, I want to talk to you about that because I don't think maybe some of the younger listeners don't understand your experience when you came out of college after your first year in Boston, you play, you decided to sign with Il Messagero. And I don't think people remember, some people may not remember how, what a big deal that was being <laughs> like, that was a big deal back in 1989. You know, Brian had a black agent, Jerome Stanley, <laughs> and he was in yeah, Boston. He was in Boston yep. telling, basically telling Red Auerbach to stick it. <laughs> I'm going to go make this money playing in Italy. And I cannot tell you what came down on, on Brian's head for making that decision. And I just oh, wonder man. if that, how you, how you kind of take those memories about that and apply it to what you just said, talking to these young brothers about making sure they make good decisions and making sure when they take stands, there will be consequences for taking those stands. No, no question about it. And, and, you know, we take every opportunity when, you know, like when it was Martin Luther King's birthday, um, you know, last month um, and the holiday and just talking about the significance of it and the significance of the man itself and all the struggles that, uh, you know, that us as black people and, and just minorities in this country as a whole have to, uh, go through and endure. And uh, we did a voters registration thing. We registered all the guys who had just turned 18, you know, to vote um, and, and, you know, understand the importance of that. And that whole insurrection that was at the Capitol, when you really look at it and you think about it, they were doing that because they were mad about the vote. Right. They, right. And, 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 and not wanting us to vote and just understanding, you know, um, it more in depth than what you just, what you just see and hear. And, you know, going back to what you talked about in 1989, David, that was for me, my first lesson in the business of basketball, right? Up to that right. point, I played for the love of the game, for the competition of it, what have you. And when I got drafted by the Celtics in 88, um, they were at the, the salary cap. They were at the tip of the salary cap. And so I had to sign as a first round pick. I had to sign a minimum contract. Uh, and so what I did was uh, with my agent was bet on myself and yeah. say, you know what? I I'm confident that I can play in this league. I belong. So we're going to just sign a one year deal um, so that I can become a restricted free agent after my first year in the league. Um, so that, uh, since since there since I'm at the salary cap and uh, and I can and I'm going to basically be overpaid I mean underpaid excuse me instead of locking into an underpaid deal for three or four years and or five years at that time and letting this team uh, kind of take advantage of this situation I'm only going to sign a one year deal and so I ended up starting 62 games uh, my rookie year made the all rookie second team um, and it gave me a lot of leverage because they didn't draft another point guard that following year. They, they drafted Mike Smith, a small forward out of Brigham Young. Right. And uh, Dennis Johnson was getting older. They, they traded Danny Ainge during my rookie year. And so it was just me left. And when they came with the, just the qualifying offer uh, after that first year, the t um, you know, I told them, I said, Hey, you got to come with it. Um, this other team from Italy, that was the same year that Danny Ferry got drafted right. uh, as the second pick by the Clippers and didn't want to go play. And said, no, I'm not going. <laughs> I'm not going to play for Donald Sterling. <laughs> right. Play, right. So he went and played for this team in Italy, Il Messaggero. Mm -hmm. David Falk was his agent, got in contact with my agent, said, hey, they're looking for another young American player. Um, no first round picks after one year in the NBA had ever done anything like that before. And so when they came with the little BS offer that they came with, um, which I think was, it would have taken me from $150,000, which I made my rookie year to only to a three year deal, starting at $225,000 going forward. This team really offered pick. me a million dollars. It takes one for one season. Oh my God. So, <laughs> 
I said, okay, I can stay here and play four years in Boston at 225 a year and make a million, or I can go and play one year in Italy and play 35 games and make a million dollars and still be <laughs> playing the game that I love to play. Right. On top of, I grew up on the West Coast, right? So I hated the Celtics growing up. <laughs> so it wasn't really at that time, it wasn't a big deal, you know, for me. But as David mentioned, uh, the wrath, came down on me for making that decision, but I bet on myself. And like I said, it was my first lesson in the business of basketball and, you know, and everything, you know, obviously worked out, um, but there was a lot behind it. The Celtics ended up coming over uh, halfway during that season and then making me a proper offer, yeah, um, which they should have done in the first place. And then I ended up coming back and, you know, and the rest is history. Yeah. So, I mean, does, do you take that, you tell your young guys about your lessons and, and help them try to make those not similar decisions, but make decisions out of knowledge. You know, you knew you were underpaid. You should be getting paid more. Right. And whether it's, whether it's, right. it's not going to be necessarily your MBA contract, but it might be your shoe deal. You know what I mean? It might be your endorsement deal. It might right. be what you pay in your, your so agent. I, I, you know what I mean? Right. So I, I, I tread lightly, but I do make sure that, that, you know, I try to make sure that they understand, first of all, that their agents work for them and it's not the other way around. You don't work for your agent. So if your agent presents something to you that you're uncomfortable with or you don't like, you know, whatever, you don't have to do it because you're the boss. And um, but you do have to have some knowledge on it. You do have to do some research. Um, you know, behind it, but understand that it is a business. And even with your agents, right? You, before you kind of became who you are, people weren't flocking to you. They are now because you have something they can, there's something for them to gain off of you. And so you have to have that, you know, in the, in the back of your mind always. But, um, you know, just one of the things too that I, I I learned is that they're not really interested in hearing my story um, or anything that doesn't really involve them. Yeah. So I have to be creative about how I get that message across, and and you know, in an in an analogy or something that relates to, you know, something that they like where they can get the lesson you know out of it, but make it about them. You know, so. Um, you know, yeah, I have found creative ways of, of getting those points across, the lessons that I've learned, passing that on to them, but applying it to their situations. Um, when it comes to family, friends, agents, and just the business overall, you know, um, you you have to take charge of your own life and uh, make those the best decisions for you. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
So is this something you want to be doing long term? Like, do you like the idea of helping shape the future of the NBA via G League Ignite? Do you want to become a head coach again? I know your, your stint in Denver didn't end the way you would have liked it to. And it was, you know, probably not as long as you would have liked it to last. Are you trying to get back into NBA coaching? Um, How do you see this thing panning out? Well, fortunately, I have, you know, done pretty well for myself. So I'm in a mm. position where <laughs> I can I can do whatever feels nice. the best for me that doesn't have to, that's not just totally dependent on money. Um, so, for instance, I probably could have been, you know, up until last, up until 2019 when I was on Luke Walton's staff with the Lakers, I was the highest paid assistant. Uh, in the NBA. Um, and I probably could have taken a job on somebody's staff right. this year and made three times the money that I'm making as the head coach of this team. Um, so to answer your question, I could see myself continuing to do this um, because I enjoy it. I think it's an, it's an important job. It's an important responsibility to have that keeps me connected to the game that keeps me helping to impact these young guys to uh, that keeps me in the mix in terms of the NBA um, and the service that I'm doing for them and their next wave of stars that are, that are coming up. I think that this thing can grow and it can expand. Um, But on the flip side of it now, every GM and every scout for every NBA team uh, that wants any kind of intel or evaluation or whatever on these young guys, they got to come through me. Um, right. You know, I don't have the same structure of management over my head, you know, in terms of an right. NBA team with the G with the general manager and stuff like that, that they make the draft pick, they draft these young guys, they may not pan out, but the coach is the one who falls on the sword when they make a mistake. Right. And, um, you know, Sharif basically said, hey, you got an empty slate. You got to, uh, uh, you know, to to create your own program, your own way of doing this. Um, you know, and so I don't really in that regard, I don't have anybody to answer to. So I wouldn't go back and take another NBA job if it wasn't the right fit for me, if I didn't feel like I had the proper support from management and ownership. Um, and if that didn't present itself, I would be perfectly fine, you know, continuing to do this. Um, you know, I'm out, I'm not out looking for a job. I want to do, I'm, I have a job. I want to do, uh, make the most out of this situation that I'm in. And I'm really, really, uh, enjoying it. I mean, obviously this year was a little weird with the pandemic and all of that. It wasn't, you know, the way that we anticipated everything going, but with that being said, um, you know, we've been able to pivot and make it work. Um, and I think that these young guys are getting, a, you know, a lot out of it. B. Shaw is good, Waz. That's what he's trying to tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He said his pockets are straight. <laughs> he good. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to ask you one more thing. I know you you, pro- you got to run, man. I don't want to keep you. But um, you, you obviously... Uh, are very, very connected, have been for most of your career with the Lakers. You were, you played for them. You won championships with them. Um, you were, you and Shaq were close. He was one of the few, you were one of the few guys, I should say, that could curse Shaq out and he wouldn't, you know, like take it personally. Like you could, you had that kind of relationship with him and you were there, you were there with LeBron in LA before, you know, uh, AD got there uh, and, and after AD got there. And so I just wonder, you have you have been there to see those kind of superstar dynamics, and it mm-hmm. it worked as long as it worked with Kobe and Shaq, right? Until until it didn't, but it worked long enough to win three right. chips. And I just wonder what what makes it work? What makes it work when you have two big egos, big talents that that have to play together for the for the team to be successful? What what is it that that LeBron and AD got right last year to make that dynamic work and, and what maybe did Shaq and, and Kobe struggle with in in their time? Well, I, I don't think that, um, I think that the thing in terms of Shaq and Kobe really struggling, um, that was more, I think, overblown by the media, right? Like 
they got along on the basketball court when it came time to playing and getting between the lines and, and getting done what needed to be done. They did that. Um, they just weren't hangout buddies when, uh, when the game wasn't going on, you, know, right. you weren't going to, um, right. uh, see them out, you know, having dinner and having a, a drink together or anything mm-hmm. like that, right. um, you know, off the court. And I think that that's pretty common, um, you know, when I played in Boston, Kevin McHale and Larry Bird didn't, you know, they didn't um, hang out, you know, with each other off the court, um, but they, they respected each other's game and stuff on the court. And I think with LeBron and uh, AD, you know, they, 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 they both are represented by the same agent agency um, and what have you. And it, that situation is more of, was probably more admiration or adoration or whatever you want to call it, uh, from AD, um, you know, kind of looking up to LeBron, whereas Kobe and Shaq, Kobe wasn't looking up to anybody, you know, Shaq (laughs) was older than whatever, it didn't matter. I'm an alpha dog, you an alpha dog, and we're going to establish some pecking order around here. And that's what was perceived the problem between them. But I think that both LeBron and AD um, don't have – that same kind of uh, killer in them like Kobe and Shaq had, you know, so that's what allowed them to, you know, uh, co you know, to coexist with one another. Um, and at the end of the day, what makes it work is when you got two to three guys that can really, really play and, um, you know, are at the, at, at the best, you know, they're, uh, at the best in their positions, um, and a, and, and a, and a decent supporting cast around them, then it works. And if you don't believe me, ask, uh, Greg Popovich, who over the last couple, you know, obviously has had a lot of success, but when he didn't have the top players, like he, you know, had with, uh, David Robinson, Tim Duncan, you know, Ginobili Parker, and those guys, he has been a struggle for him the last couple of years. Um, as well as, any other coach who doesn't have stars. So I don't care how well that you can coach, you know, or whatever else, when it comes down to the end game, which is winning the championship, if you don't have those star players, most likely you're not going, you're not going to be playing in that, in that final game, um, you know, across the board. So the teams, you know, when you look back over what's probably the last 30 years, there's maybe what, eight or nine teams that have won championships. Um, and that's it because those eight or nine teams had the best players and the best supporting staff for the most part. And, um, you know, you could bring in Vince Lombardi and, uh, uh, Bill Belichick or whoever else, you know, look, that's a perfect example. You guys are talking about the Super Bowl and Tom Brady. Well, he didn't have Brady first time this year and, and, and all the other guys that went along with it and they didn't make the playoffs, you know, Brady had, uh, you know, he had weapons. Um, and Gronk and the running backs and the coaching staff that uh, I do give a lot of respect to Bruce Arians for having a black offensive coordinator, black defensive coordinator, mm-hmm. um, some, some black coaches in other key positions and uh, positional coaches, as well as I think he has a couple of women as well, women, you know, yeah, given yeah. those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and so um, when you have, that kind of support staff around you. And then you have, you know, Brady, whether we like him or not, is, is the GOAT and uh, at that position. And, uh, you know, and, uh, Antonio Brown and Gronk, who can still play, and Fournette and, you know, and the guys that they have on the defensive side of the ball, then, you know, you're going to win. And so that that's across the board. Man, when I, tell you, when I tell you was, I'm telling you, back in the day, he's in Boston. Boston, <laughs> twenty-two-year-old brother telling these telling Boston fans and Boston media, "No, nah, I'm, nah, I'm gonna go over here for a minute." I can't tell you what that was like. That that, that took some cojones, like David. You know the, the first thirty games that I, when I came back from Italy to play for the Celtics, yeah, our home fans booed me every time I oh. touched the ball. <laughs> That's unbelievable. And they called me. They that this that's a whole nother show. They called me Benedict Arnold. No, no. Uh, 
you know, they, uh, I mean, I felt like, and, 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 and I mean, obviously it wasn't to the extent, but I felt like how Bill Russell yeah. and, mm-hmm. and some of the players from the earlier days felt when they, or, or maybe like Jackie Robinson when he when he broke the color barrier yeah. for, for Major League Baseball. Uh, that's how I felt with how the wrath was coming down on me from from you know from from the Boston fans and and even the, and the media out there. I know um, that's know, what I'm saying. Like, great. dude, it's yeah. crazy. They, they it was crazy. It. They I remember they had a picture in the paper when we were in court. Mm-hmm. Of myself and Jerome Stanley, Jerome had on a a green suit with pinstripes, and Jerome is an attorney. He's an agent, but he's also an attorney. Right. And they, the way they, in the Boston Herald, they called him this uh, uh, flashy dressing, slick talking uh, <laughs> agent. But you know, they they degraded him. Oh my you know? god. And and and, and he's a, because of what you know because of what he had on. Yeah. You know, so, <laughs> my man, I appreciate your time so much. Best of luck with you with your team this year and with everything else going on. Stay safe down there, man. And um, man, hopefully we'll see you in an arena again real soon, man. <laughs> All right, I appreciate you guys, man. Appreciate you having me on. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank, Thank you, you Bishaw. Later, bro. <laughs> Yeah, it was crazy, man. It was absolutely crazy. Um, and um, I'm glad he didn't he didn't talk, you know, you mentioned Denver. It was there was a lot going on. I'm gonna just put it that way in Denver at the time. Mm. And they didn't have the structure in place that they have now. <laughs> right. I mean, that doesn't surprise you know me, I mean? you know. Like it was just the different the different management and uh Yeah, and, and but the thing is, DA, like a team doesn't go like have the record that Denver has because the coach is just fucking horrible. Right, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> like, that's it. Everything else is great. Right, right. right. It's just the coach. Exactly. No, that's you not how You know it's the same works. teams are in the lottery every year? You notice that? Right. <laughs> it's not... <laughs> it's not by accident. A lot, you know what I mean? There's a lot more that goes into it. All right, yeah. so so let, let's wrap up with this. I wanted to talk about the Super Bowl a little bit. Yeah. And not really about the game because the game was terrible. I agree with you. Um... But Black Twitter is killing the weekend. They're killing him, Waz. They're just killing my boy. And I ain't even like a fan of the dude. I I right. I know his songs and all that. I'm not even a fan. I don't even really right. mess with him that much. I just think like I just think it's so easy to to take a, to to shoot at a young Canadian brother. You know what I mean? Like right. <laughs> Right, he didn't come you know, from the hood or whatever, but that doesn't right, mean he didn't right, have an experience right, right. too. You know what I mean? Like, no, he's no for sure, and he has a cool story. And you know, <laughs> for me, the experience of watching the show is going to be different, right? Because I was a fan of his from very early on when he was kind of like a little underground. Yeah, he, yeah. Was, he was this Canadian guy that allegedly one of Drake's managers have found and. You know, there was no pictures of him on the internet and he's making this really dark ass music about, you know, painful relationships and drug abuse and all of this stuff. And he basically crafted this whole persona. Right. Mm -hmm. And again, like this is a guy who's come from literally being camera shy. They were scared to put themselves out there to do media, to do radio show appearances and all of that. So now he's performing at this huge spectacle at the halftime show of the Super Bowl. And, you know, Blinded Lights is one of the craziest, biggest hits in the history of music. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a dope story for me. So I did enjoy the show. But I can understand the internet uh, takes no prisoners. That's just, you know. That just bothers me, man. Because, you know, like, (laughs) all right? So, I mean, he didn't, you know, his story is different than than yours or mine. What that mean? It's any less authentic. You know what I mean? Like, why do we always have to have the same story to to confer authenticity? Authenticity upon black people. It's ridiculous. Especially and, and black this men. Guy, this guy was homeless you know, at one point. This guy was homeless. Right. He lived on the streets yeah. at one point. So, and now he's performing in the Super Bowl. Right. Like, whatever. You know, that's the thing, David. Like, I've been on... Oh, I just I just had a birthday on Saturday. Yeah. So happy, happy birthday belated, to me. Happy belated, my brother. Yes. Yes, I turned 34 on Saturday. I've been... I feel like I was on AOL maybe when I was 10 or 11. So that's, 
you know, 23, 24 years of the internet. Right. And they've always been this ruthless, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. It's I just, just what I, they do. Yeah, it just it just bothers me. I don't know. I just, I feel like we need to, we uh, as us, we need to do better. You know, like. Yeah, like, for sure. Everybody's, everybody's comes from a different place. They have a different origin story i mean we're all different superheroes you know what i mean like we all have our own origin story listen whatever it is. i'm i'm never gonna go against a black dude publicly right. with my little forum unless of course he's just blatantly right and utterly uncle tom exactly then i'll go after exactly. him other than that just, like i'm not gonna go out against a black yeah. dude no matter what it's basically saying oh Black people can't have pop hits. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's ridiculous. You know, it's ridiculous. Like, why can't he make some money? You know what I mean? Like, I don't care if you know white kids in Kansas like his song. So what? Who cares? He's got a great. He's got a great, great story, and his success is a testament to just the guy's talent and the work that he's put in. Quite frankly, because you know, it's so crazy. Like, he had this breakout. Um, and then when he had to make like his proper sort of commercial music, it didn't land automatically. Yeah. Then he went back to the drawing board and then he put out the freaking, I was about to say eyes wide shut the 50, 50 shades of gray song mm-hmm. and that, that he's just been gone after right, that. So right. shout out to the, shout out to the weekend, man. Shoot. <laughs> I mean, anyway, thank you all for listening as always. Um, leave us a nice review on Apple podcasts or iTunes or wherever you uh, listen to us every week uh, we enjoy it we didn't do we didn't do questions this week we'll get questions again for next week send them in no dumb questions you know the rules so uh, send it into athletic NBA show on Twitter and uh, we'll pick two or three of them for next week see you Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.